I'm Yukihiro Matsumoto, and you're listening to the Changelog. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Changelog, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 202. It's a big show. Yes, years in the making. Jared and I spoke with Matt, the creator of Ruby. We talked all about Ruby. We corrected the title. We were going to call this 20 Years of Ruby, and we had it wrong. It's actually 23 Years of Ruby. We talked to Matt about its origins, where he came from, naming Ruby, where it's going, where it's been. Everything you think you want to know from Matt's about Ruby is in this show. We got three awesome sponsors, TopTal, Full Stack Fest, and our friends at Rollbar. Our first sponsor of the show is our friends at TopTal, an exclusive network of top freelance software developers and designers all across the world. Top companies rely upon top, top freelancers every single day for their most mission critical projects. And if you're listening to this show, and you're a Ruby on Rails developer looking for greater flexibility in the projects you're working on, or you're looking for a community to belong to, or you'd just like some help thinking through a problem as you work, I highly encourage you to check out TopTal. You'll have a constant stream of top Ruby on Rails jobs to choose from. You'll have the flexibility to choose the projects you work on, and you'll have the freedom to set your own schedule. You'll get featured on the TopTal engineering blog, which we often link to in ChangeLaw Weekly. You'll get support for speaking at conferences and attending events. Head to TopTal.com slash RailsJobs. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash RailsJobs, all in word. But if you'd like a more personal introduction, email me, adam at changelaw.com. I'd love to help you take your first step with TopTal. And now, on to the show. We're joined today by Yukihiro Matsumoto, also known as Mats. Now, if you don't know Mats, you must be under a rock. But let me tell you, Mats is a Japanese programmer best known for his work as the chief designer of the Ruby programming language. And he's also known for its reference implementation, Mats Ruby Interpreter, MRI. Uh, and Jared, this, this show for us is literally years in the making, quite literally 20 years. Our roots are in Ruby. Our audience knows our roots are in Ruby. Yeah, but uh, to have Matt's finally on this show, what do you got? What do you think about that, bro? Well, I'm pretty excited. Matt's before the show said he was nervous, and I think we're the ones that should we should be nervous. Yeah. Um, quite an honor to be joined by you, Matt's, and thank you so much for the Ruby programming language, which is uh, something I use daily and uh, a language de- design that I compare other languages to um, to see if they measure up. So. Yes. Uh, thank you for joining us, and thank you for Ruby. Yeah, well, without further ado, Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Matt, um, I, I guess the best place that would make sense to start for you, and something that, you know, Jared, again, I got my mind blown before the show, and I got to let the listeners know, because Matt is a listener of the changelog. I, I couldn't believe it, yeah. Isn't that awesome? So cool. Now, Matt's as a listener of the show, you must know that we love to dig into the the history, the past of someone. So someone like you who comes on the show, we have to know where you come where you came from. So take us back into your story. Where did things begin for you to become a software developer, become a programmer? Where did things begin for you? Uh that that's a very old story. So when 
I was in high school, maybe in junior high school. Uh, my father bought me, uh, actually bought himself a pocket computer, like a, you know, the desktop calculator with a keyboard. And uh, that runs basic. So I was 15 and then I took his computer and started programming. I was pretty interested in programming. That is my beginning of programming uh, career. So that was about 1980 for you. Is that right? Uh, yes. Give or take. So what, uh, what was it about this device, this opportunity that, that, uh, that made you think I could do this. I could make something on this. I could make my living doing this. This excites me. No, I didn't think anything about, uh, you know, job or, uh, working at that, at that time, the programming is interested me uh, very much just because I can order computer or, or I can train computer, do things I want to do. I was interested in programming. I can program or train them to work for me. Right. Yeah. You were in control. You can make it do what you wanted to do. Yeah, I can control computers. You know, it's make me feel like uh, I train computers like a dog. Like, a, you know? <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first, everybody. Matt trains computers like he can train a dog. That's awesome. I've yeah. tried training a dog and failed miserably. So yes. I think computers <laughs> might even be easier than dogs. Yes. My dog does not listen. I tell him to be quiet and he just keeps asking for the door and wants a bone. <laughs> he... He's relentless. Computers, they don't talk back and get angry. I guess they kind of do when, whenever there's a, you know, interpreter yeah. issue or something like that. Yeah, computers are much easier. Mind dogs are bad too. So what was your first steps then? Was, was, uh, was your first steps tinkering? Was your first steps picking up a book? You know, what was your entrance into feeling like you can actually do it? Not so much getting excited about it, but... Mm -hmm learning yourself to teach and, as you said, control a computer. Yeah, the, the pocket computer was awful just because, you know, it was at only 400 steps of the capacity so that we can only uh, type in the four, maximum 400 lines of code, basic code in that computer. Besides that, they have a variable, no, no local variables, just global variables, and a length length of the variable name is only one. So we can have, we could have only 26 uh, variables. Then I type in some sample programs out of the reference to the computer and I modified it like a small game of the, you know, the hit and blow or some kind of the number calculation, something. The environment was very, very, very limited. So I started feel some kind of the frustration soon after I program in that particular computer. So it was, it was really the frustration, the, the lack of usability that, mm -hmm. that got you excited. Cause like anybody, you want things to be easy to use. You want them to be enjoyable and computers for you was, was lacking that. And you felt like you can fill that void. Yeah. But uh, at that time, I didn't know about anything about the, the other computers. So I just, kind of felt frustrated, but uh, I didn't know what is 
the source of my frustration. So then I came across to the book named uh, Introduction to Pascal Language. So I bought that book and then I studied about the Pascal programming language. It was some kind of the enlightenment for me just because, you know, the, this language, Pascal, kind of freed my mind, you know, by my recognition. My cognition of the programming is very limited to the basic before that, but uh, I thought of Pascal had everything, like uh, the local variables, the, the recursive calls, and the data structure, user-defined data structures, and, the, you know, yeah, everything. Yeah, so that was the first time I started having interested in programming language in general. What came after Pascal? So I started uh, read books and magazines about uh, programming and programming language. So then I came across Lisp, Smalltalk, and uh, some other programming languages like Logo. So then uh, these programming languages are pretty amazing for me. But back then, I didn't have the computer that runs the, that kind of the great programming languages. So I, I just read the book and uh, studied about them. But, uh, you know, I really wanted to programming in, in it, in them, but uh, I couldn't. Hmm. That was kind of a frustration. So you're just, you're just reading books about Lisp, books about Smalltalk, but you don't even get to try to use these languages. No, the, the computers are very expensive back then. I always find it interesting, Jared, whenever we have someone on the show that, that has such a history with I, I guess going through the hard days is all I can think of to describe it because it's the days whenever, uh, who was our most recent guest? He made the keyboard because that's what he had to do to get to the next step. Um, yeah. Richard and, Hip for, I'm from SQLite. Yeah. Which is a show that isn't quite out yet, but if you're listening to this, then it's out. So go listen to it. Episode yeah. 201. Uh, but this is a case too, where Matt's is, uh, loving and desiring to program but can't because access quite isn't quite there and so i guess matt's what did you do to to get access what's the next step for you there uh through reading the books about the computer program uh programming languages so the i found out that every programming language was designed by a human being you know that right that mm. means you know we don't know who designed English, no Japanese, but uh, we have, for example, John McCursey for Lisp or, you know, Alan Kay for Smalltalk. So the programming language was designed by specific person or group of people, and they had intention or ideas for their programming languages. So when I was in high school, I was pretty much interested in programming language. And even though I didn't have any chance to program in those programming languages in reality, but uh, I really, really interested in programming language, the, the concept of the programming language. So I just wanted to create my own programming language when I was 17. It's pretty profound that you have that perspective because I didn't think, well, I don't know who and Wikipedia won't tell me who invented the English language. So I never really got curious to the point where I'm like, well, if someone designed it, then I could do it. So I never, I don't, I don't know if I've had that perspective that you, 
that you have. Mm. It's interesting that you come to that conclusion on your own. Yeah. So, so you're 17 years old. It's yeah. about 1982, if my math is correct. Yeah, and around you, that time. At this point, you've, you've used BASIC and you've used Pascal. Uh, I didn't use Pascal. Oh. But uh, I knew Pascal. Oh, okay. So you didn't even use Pascal. You just learned it. So only yeah. basic so far. Only basic. Only so basic. Fuck then. And you have this kind of a wanderlust or a desire to to not just try these languages, but to learn about them, even though you can't use them. And you want to write your own language at age 17. Yeah. Did you attempt a language at that time? Uh, you know, it's prior to the internet age. So yeah. I didn't know anything. So about the, I didn't have any experience <laughs> on programming. I didn't have uh -huh. any knowledge to for the you know compiler writing or anything. So I took my notebook and write down programming in my own programming language. Awesome. On papers. <laughs> do you still have that notebook? That was my question. I was like, do you yeah. still have that? Unfortunately, I lost that notebook. Oh man. You could compare it to Ruby and see how closely you ended up creating yeah. something like that 17-year-old wanted. I vaguely remember that was not, that was kind of like a Pascal. That is, mm -hmm. But uh, I saw some kind of the influence from Lisp. I think it was a kind of the combination of the Pascal and Lisp. So we're not quite to designing Ruby yet. And obviously this show is is about painting the history of this 20-year rich history mm -hmm. of the Ruby programming language. So of BASIC, of Lisp, of Pascal, what was it about those languages that got you excited? Like what specific features, what specific things, even if you couldn't write them, you can read them and think about them in your mind? Mm -hmm. So the, from Pascal, I learned a lot from the, the language Programming language features can help programmers. Like, uh, you know, the old basic I used was a very limited. It didn't try to help programmers. Like uh, the limitation in the number of the lines of code, limitation of, of the number of variables. They couldn't have any user-defined function. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have anything <laughs> but a few lines of uh, basic code. So. Compared to that, the Pascal language uh, tried to help programmers to be effective. So uh, that kind of attitude influenced me a lot. So the programming language should help programmers. Then Lisp. So when I uh, read about, the, uh, about Lisp, I was, I was very surprised by the consistency of the language. So the Lisp language was made up of the very few concepts, like a list and uh, some atoms. Then everything was combined out of those uh, small number of concepts. So that kind of the consistency or extendability surprised me a lot. And obviously Smalltalk had a huge influence on Ruby. Uh, yeah, but uh, back then, it, it's, it was early 80s, so the... Mm -hmm the material about information about the small talk language was very limited back then. So I studied about small talk mostly in my university ages. Is that when you gained access 
to actually start using some of these languages at, at university? Yes. So did you study computer science or what, was you, what did you go to school for specifically? Uh, so in 1984, I went to the university called Tsukuba University in Japan. So I majored in uh, computer science. So finally, I got access to the, the real computers and uh, I started programming. And uh, also, the Tsukuba University has a huge library so that I can access to the uh, books and the materials and the papers about the computer science. So, you know, finally I got access to the information of computer science. That must have been like heaven for you. Yeah, it's in real, in real, <laughs> really. <laughs> it was a heaven. What I find interesting is that uh, there's roughly, uh, based on some notes Jared pasted to me, is roughly 13 years difference between the day or roughly the year from what Wikipedia tells us is in the mid nineties. So assuming 1995, 1996, uh, Ruby being created. So there's roughly, um, you know, 13 years between your original age or roughly 15 to 17 when, you know, when you're kind of painting this picture that you just share with us. Mm -hmm. So there's 13 years between that time. Yeah. Uh, you went to school and you learned a bunch of interesting things and, all of that stuff. And so we're obviously here to talk deeply about this history of Ruby. So I want to tee that up real quick before we take our first break. Cause when we come back, we're going to dive into, you know, some more details around those 13 years and then specifically get into, uh, you know, the origination, the date, the time frame of Ruby and what the original problem was and those types of things. So we'll take our first break and we'll be right back. Rollbar puts errors in their place. Full stack error tracking for all applications in any language. And I talked to Brian Rude, the CEO and co-founder of Rollbar, deeply about what Rollbar is, what problem it solves, and why you should use it. Take a listen. How do you build software faster? Like, how do you build better software faster? Um, and there are like, there are tons and tons of, of aspects to that. Like, and Ruby is like, do you, do you have a better language? Can you have better frameworks that help you be more expressive and more productive? So the flip side of that is like, after you've built something that works, or at least mostly works, how do you like go about getting it from working to like in production and actually working? How do you cover the edge cases? How do you find things you missed? How do you iterate on it quickly? And that's kind of where what we're trying to do comes in. So we're trying to say, after you've shipped your software, you're not done. You know you still there's still work to do and we want to help make that process of maintaining and polishing and, and keeping things running smoothly be really 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 easy so like developers spend roughly half their time debugging right so anything we can do to make that process better is going to have a huge impact all right that was brian ruse ceo and co-founder of rollbar sharing with you exactly why it fits why it works for you head to rollbar.com slash changelaw. You get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. That's basically 300,000 errors tracked totally for free. Give Rollbar a try today. Again, head over to rollbar.com slash changelaw. All right, we're back from the break. And obviously, if you're listening to this show, 20 years of Ruby with Matt's is, a, is like link bait, right? You're going to listen to that show. Even if you've never programmed Ruby before, you want to listen to the show because Matt is such an influential person in software development. Uh, already, Jared and I have been enjoying uh, Matt's story, how he got into programming and his journey through Basic, Pascal, and Lisp. But ultimately, he got to a point where he was 
just maybe frustrated even further with usability and decided he can create his own language because uh, you can do that. And so Matt's Jared and I have been trying to dig and figure out when Ruby was created and Wikipedia mm-hmm. says mid nineties. Can you help us uh, with a citation? Like when was Ruby in your eyes? When was Ruby officially born? So what can we call Ruby's birthday? The the birthday of the software uh, is not well defined just because, you know, unlike a human being, so the software is not very form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, software, including programming languages, uh, does not, do not have any physical entities. So the logic or concept are very crucial for the existence of software. So in that sense, the name is pretty important for software. Right. So the, yeah, in, in programming, so if you name some concept in very good name or right name, so you, your design is guaranteed to be succeed. So I value names very much in programming. So in that sense, so I pick the date, I name Ruby, Ruby. Okay. As a, as a birthday of the Ruby programming language, which is February 24th, uh, 1993. So we're actually uh, 23 years. 23 years of Ruby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got our title wrong. You know, hearing yeah. that, uh, thank you for sharing the official date with us. So February, was it 23rd or 24th? 24th. 24th. February 24th, 1993. You named it Ruby. Has anybody ever asked you what the significance of the name Ruby? Like, where did Ruby come from, the name Ruby? Why is that, since names are so significant to you, why mm-hmm. that name? Uh, it's it is kind of like a coincidence. Like, a, when I decided to pr- create my own programming language, that I will tell that story later, probably. Yes. But uh, uh, when I decided to uh, name my programming language, I wanted to name it after name of the jewel, just because we had Pearl. Yeah, back then I talked with my friend about the, the concept and the plan. So the several names come up with, with the name of the programming language, my programming language. They, uh, these were like a diamond, inspired, and, but uh, those names are so long and uh, quite difficult to type. So after examining a few programming, a few general names, we picked two candidates. One, the, one, the first one is uh, Ruby. The second one is a Coral. But uh, I talked with my friend and uh, the Ruby is shorter and the, 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 the Ruby Jewel is more beautiful. So I picked the name Ruby. So it's based on beauty. Yeah. And it's based on, uh, in theory, easiness because it's easy. shorter not so much its yeah. length but <laughs> it's easy it's easy and after that we found out the the pearl is a birthstone of june and the ruby is a birthstone of july so mm. it, it is a good name for the programming language which succeed which came after ah. but uh, it was just coincidence just coincidence so your next language will be the birthstone of August. Uh, aquamarine. 
Uh, now I'm Googling for birthstone of August. Uh, parrot, ooh, not easy. Peridot. <laughs> peridot. Peridot. Mm-hmm. Not as good as Ruby. No. So you had a name. It was 1993. Mm-hmm. You, you, you had some influences, including Lisp. Small talk. Lisp. Small talk. Perl, of course. Um, you talk a lot about how, you know, you know, every programming language is created by a person. Mm-hmm. And you also talk about how, you know, when you design a language, you design for specific things. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea, the big idea around Ruby, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's this idea of designing for the programmer, for programmer happiness around this idea of joy mm-hmm. where and which was avant-garde for sure at the time was quite uh almost revolutionary you might say with how popular yeah ruby eventually became so where did that notion come from where did that influence where you said let's optimize for programmer happiness how'd you think about how'd you think of that uh actually i confess that i didn't think that at the beginning Oh, okay. So some programming languages are designed with specific purpose, like a, a basic and a Pascal as a ed- ed- programming education or C for system programming, like a, a writing uh, U- a Unix operating right. system. Or a small talk, like a, it, it was a prototype of the future programming environment or something like that. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Unlike other programming languages, I didn't have anything specific in my mind. You know, I told you that I w- just wanted to create my own programming language. Right. But uh, as a programmer, I wanted to use my programming language. So as a programmer, I, my daily job is writing some kind of the, a C language for main project and uh, like uh, some Perl script or shell script as a you know, side task. So the writing some kind of shells uh, in a scripting language could help me uh, use my programming language for my task, like a kind of dog fooding. So I picked scripting language for that purpose. I didn't think of solving my specific problem or anything like that. I just wanted to create my own programming language. <laughs> I love that. Like it was a very pure desire. It's like, I just want to create a language. Yeah. At the same time, I wanted to have fun with the designing and implementing or using my programming language. So at that time, I didn't focus on the effectiveness or productivity of programmers in general. I focused mainly on my joy in programming and designing of my own programming language. So yeah. that gradually leads into the programming joy right. of the, the programmer in general all over the world. I was just going to say that it makes a lot of sense that you ended up creating a language around enjoyment and joy and, and programmer happiness because you weren't designing for specific use cases like you mentioned with C or um, the, uh, another language or Perl with like Perl's whole purpose was text extraction and reporting, right? Mm-hmm. And so it had that very practical goal. But your goal was to just enjoy making a language that you would love. And so what fell out of that was a language that 
is enjoyable to use. Just makes sense. Mm-hmm. See, I would say the opposite. I would say that that's like a, kind of a happy accident. Yes. You know, because he, he said he was he wanted to dog food it, but it wasn't, uh, you know, top of mind in, in the fact that like this is the main thing you want to do. But he wanted to be happy creating it. And so just, yeah, it seems like it's a happy accident to to get there. Although it does make complete sense that that's what should come out of it. Right. So you mentioned Lisp and how you liked how small Lisp was in its concepts mm-hmm. and how consistent it was. Um, you mentioned Smalltalk and Perl. And when you were originally designing Ruby, were you actively thinking about your use of these other languages or the things that you like and just, you know, quote unquote, stealing those into Ruby? Um, was it, how do I say it? Were you actively taking features from Perl that you like and saying, I want those in Ruby? Or was it more of an indirect influence on the language? Uh, so when I decided to create my own programming language, so I had been a big fan of object-oriented programming for years back then. So I wanted to apply the concept of object-oriented programming to my programming language. So, and back then I was a C programmer, so I wanted to I wanted to feel comfortable as a C programmer when I using my, my own programming language. And uh, I, I wrote many shell scripts and uh, some Perl scripts. So I want my programming language can replace uh, those languages and shells and uh, Perl. So in combination with this, the, the idea of the object-oriented scripting language was gradually formed. So I took some kind of the, the Lisp, Lisp interpreter and uh, then put some uh, class libraries out of uh, Smalltalk and then picked the uh, features out of Perl and chopped into the methods and then reorganized into the class libraries. In that way, I gradually designed my programming language named Ruby. <laughs> So you named it in 93, Mm -hmm. um, by 1995, you had a public release. Yes. Um, I'm trying to figure out here if this was your 1.0. Yes, it was Ruby 1.0. Oh, I'm sorry. Ruby 1.0 was 1996. If Wikipedia is correct. 96. Um, mm -hmm. so let's talk about that. You've, you've fully formed this idea, right? You've given birth, so to speak of a concept in, in working code for a 1.0 release. Um, what happened next? Were people using it? Did you announce it somewhere? Did you keep it for yourself or did you put it out into the world? And what did mm-hmm. people think? Yeah. Uh, soon after I started the project in 93, virtually no one knows uh, new Ruby just because, you know, it was, it was my personal project. And uh, only my few, a few close friends knew about the language and then they, they helped me to try my baby programming language. But uh, the implementing a programming language kind of take, took time. It took six months to do simple hello world for me. I started in February 
the simple Hello World worked on August. Writing Hello World program in Ruby is, you know, kind of one line of code. And then mm -hmm. it took us maybe 10 seconds or something. But uh, implementing language to do Hello World is kind of huge task. I needed to implement string object. So I need a string class. And then to implement string class, we need the object class to inherit and the whole object system and the whole messaging system. And then to call print, we need access to the uh, standard IO. And then we need to object, we, we need to, I needed to objectify the standard IO or something like that. But that took me uh, six months to do simple Hello World. Reminds me of that Carl Sagan quote about making an apple pie from scratch. You must first, what is it, create the universe? <laughs> yes. Sounds like you, you, you had to create the Ruby universe in order to have a hello world from scratch. Indeed. So how long before other people started to use it? Uh, until December 94, virtually no one used, used Ruby but uh, two other friends. But uh, 94, I, I passed some small message to the, uh, the Usenet, which net news which we had to communicate to, to others on the internet back then. I don't know. I don't remember the exact number, but uh, 10, 20 people were, were interested and uh, formed a mailing list. And uh, they advised me uh, in the very early stage of uh, Ruby to these kind of the, the communication and discussion. So Ruby, design of Ruby, design and implementation of Ruby got uh, better, then I passed the whole Ruby source code into the uh, internet, December 21st, 1995. So I guess once we're getting to more and more users, what do you feel like is roughly the time you feel like Ruby was really adopted by the programming world? When, when was it that, and what was it like uh, at the time for people to really start using it, not just, and I don't mean it in a negative way, 20 or 30 people, but a lot of people. What was, when did that begin? Yeah. Uh, soon after uh, I posted the source code of the Ruby, so I formed a mailing list. Right. And then two weeks later, we had uh, 200 members of the mailing list. So that is kind of number. Yeah. So I was surprised. So the, you know, after seeing, you know, unknown programming language from nobody. So nobody knows me back then. So, but uh, interested and joined the mailing list in two weeks. That, that is kind of, you know, surprising for me. What do you think was it that, uh, it, what was the secret recipe? What do you think was happening the right way to attract people? What was the, what was it about Ruby that was really... Uh, getting them and what languages were they coming from to try Ruby? Uh, I'm sorry, but I don't know about secret recipe, but uh, I, I was so surprised. Only one thing I can think of is the, you know, the Ruby is designed after my preference or taste. Surprisingly, so many other people felt similar way. 
toward the programming and the programming languages. So that kind of preference uh, invited them to in involve in the Ruby community. So in the beginning, we was designed for me, myself, only one person. Right. But uh, surprisingly, so many people, not only in Japan, but all over the world, felt similar way and they're uh, interested in Ruby and uh, they felt joy in programming Ruby. It was so out of my expectation, you know, so far beyond my expectation. It might be a good place to, to talk about the cultural divide. Uh, we have a note here, uh, mainly just around how obviously Ruby was written by someone who's Japanese, speaks Japanese as their primary language. That's you, obviously. Uh, but Ruby has played this part in bringing people together from all over the world, you know, the United States, Japan, and all over. Uh, and you've also got people who speak English primarily, learning Japanese to uh, break down the cultural divides and be able to speak, uh, you know, your native language and, and whatnot. Can you speak to, you know, what it's like to have such a, an influence, I guess, on those people, like how Ruby has bridge that gap between, you know, cultural divide, language barriers, things like that. Hmm. Language barrier. Yeah. At least if I were born in uh, English speaking uh, country, so my life would be much, would be much easier. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but uh, at least, so we programmers kind of have a similar souls inside of us. Despite the difference of the, the primary language we speak or the, the, the culture we brought up, or most of us feel similar way. So we are primarily programmers. So even though I was born in Japan, so you were born in States or, or maybe some, maybe others from other country, other from other cultures, somehow we feel similar way. So Ruby language stimulate common soul of programmers. Right, the so, common desire for usability, simplicity, joy, happiness. Yeah, that kind of things. Those, you know, mm -hmm. those are language universal. There's no language. It's to see me have joy is to see me smile, and to see you have joy is the same. You would you would be smiling. There'd be some sort of appearance on you that that is language agnostic mm -hmm. that makes sense well what well, what about things that you you know that you like a lot about ruby what are your favorite parts of ruby you've written so much over these years what is it about ruby that really i guess the easiest way to ask is just what's your favorite part about ruby what is it that attracts people to ruby mm -hmm. as a language so i like ruby's extendability like a, the we have ruby language but uh, we can add many things like a class libraries and the gems so to extend the power of the language so the ruby language allows us to make ruby even stronger by adding the classes like adding objects so that kind of extensibility i like the most the the second thing is a, is a part of that 
is a the block. The block is a you know the block is a somehow form of the uh, higher order function, but uh, Ruby provides that things in very nifty way. So that forms that you can extend the method with adding blocks. So the so I like that kind of things in Ruby. But uh, in fact, the most important things in Ruby language is the community. Since we we emphasize the, the happiness of programmers, so we cannot live without the programmers. We are not just a language. We are not just a technology. We, the community, is most important for the language. Well said, and I agree with you on the extendability to this day. And I know active support in Rails catches a lot of flack. Um, <laughs> but the fact that Ruby allows you to write out when you're thinking about a time and you think, well, it was three days ago, and you can type in your code three dot days dot ago. Yeah. That's that's a joy for me. <laughs> it so expresses exactly what I'm thinking, and I don't have to conform my sentence into a structure that the language requires of me. I can express it the way that it makes sense. Um, and the, you know, obviously active supports adding that to, uh, the number three in that case is absolutely a joy uh, when it comes time to use it. So, uh, thank you for that. You know, all these decisions, they, they have big consequences and sometimes they make all of us smile. Sometimes they make some of us smile and others of us frown. <laughs> um, but they're all trade-offs and no doubt, Matt's you've had some decisions in the language design and maybe even in the implementation that you look back and think, if I could take that back, I would. So we're not going to ask you now. We're going to ask you on the other side of the break. Uh, we, you've talked about your favorite parts of the, of Ruby, which is extendability as well as the community, which is so important, but we're going to ask you about any design decisions that you know, if you had a second chance, you know, if you're designing that, that new language next year, uh, you wouldn't put it in. So stay tuned, and we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Full Stack Fest is sponsoring this show. It's a week-long Full Stack Development Conference, September 5th through 9th in Barcelona. If you haven't seen this conference, check it out. You're going to love it. Fullstackfest.com. They have a total of 16 speaker slots open. And yes, call for papers are open right now. They're open till May 14th, so don't wait. Talks are 40 minutes long each, including Q&A, DevOps, infrastructure, UX, browser technology, mobile, backend, distributed systems, machine learning, AI, IoT, wearable technology, robotics, you name it, you can talk about it at Full Stack Fest. It's a full stack conference, end to end, September 5th through 9th, 2016 in Barcelona. Head to fullstackfest.com. Once again, September 5th through 9th, 2016 in Barcelona, fullstackfest.com. And tell them Adam from the Changelog sent you. All right, we're back with Matts. And Matts, we could probably camp out all day on uh, design decisions. Yes. Um, we don't have all day and we have 20 years to cover, so we will be moving along, but you mentioned some of your favorite things about Ruby, mm -hmm. um, extendability, the community, Blo the block. Is there anything that you regret 
in term yeah the block absolutely um in terms of design decisions whether they were initial or even over the years that you say eh, probably not my finest moment can you share that with us uh, the the biggest regret was i took too many from pearl oh like <laughs> some of the uh the the, the global variables like the dollar yeah, sign colon and stuff like that or something like that so mm -hmm. so at the very early stage of design of ruby i wanted to create a scripting language that could replace pearl so i took many things from pearl so the my primary goal was that everything pearl can do pearl could do uh should be done by Ruby as well. Mm. So, so I took many things out of Pearl, but uh, I should have thought that Matt uh, thought more about uh, the features I took just because, you know, the, at that time, my scope is to narrow down to scripting language. Ruby itself is not really a script language any anymore. So it's a general purpose programming language, right? Right mm -hmm. now, like, uh, so in that way, the features, some features are too specific to scripting. Uh, like, uh, you know, those global, special global variable is very handy for the small programs, like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the 10 lines of code or something like that. But, uh, you know, once you write bigger code, that kind of the, the magic features makes implementation more complex or behavior more complex to understand. So I regret the many of them. So the, mm -hmm. those features are gradually being become obsolete these days. Like uh, no one uses the magic variable any longer, but uh, we implemented implementators like still uh, support those things that makes our implementation even more complex or error prone. So I regret those kind of features. Mm. They're good for golfing, but not much else. Golfing yeah. and, and scripting. Golfing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Indeed. So you mentioned that Ruby started off as a scripting language in your mind and had, and as it became generally used and generally useful. You know, it's now a general purpose uh, programming language. Um, one thing that also happened um, in the early 2000s was the advent of Rails, which yeah. um, which exploded in popularity, as you well know, and uh, alongside it, Ruby uh, exploded in popularity, um, mm -hmm. moving beyond the bounds of the community that you had built over, you know, maybe the first nine or 10 years of, of Ruby's existence now to a much larger uh, community. So much so that many people look at Ruby as a web programming language um, and not a general purpose programming language. Your thoughts on that perception of Ruby um, being web focused as a language? Uh, I have kind of mixed feeling. So i happy with the, you know, the name title of the web programming language, you know, the Ruby is very good at web programming, thanks to Rails. And then, you know, the writing web 
web application using Rails means the the programmers have to write their programs in Ruby. So that's a, that's okay for me. In contrast, the, some programmers hesitate to think about the use Ruby out of web. Like a Ruby can write anything, like a you know the infra infrastructure managing like a chef or puppet or maybe some other features like a uh, lighting like desktop application. You you can write desktop application in Ruby. You can write uh shell a uh, scripting in Ruby. You can write the infrastructure managing in Ruby, or you can write even the mobile app, or even you can program embedding system in Ruby. So even though I'm happy with the the title of web programming language, but uh, mm -hmm. I also wanted to know them. The Ruby can be usable beyond web. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think um, many people who learned Ruby because of Rails or came to Ruby because of Rails, many of those came for Rails, but stuck around for Ruby. And uh, it won them over even more so than the web framework. And they then take it into all the different areas of their programming needs. And, and like you said, you find it um, <clears throat> in many places, Yeah, uh, not, not just the web. A good example of that, though, Jared, is, is your own personal take on it. Uh, before the show started, I'm not sure if it made it into the audio for the listeners or not, but you had said that uh, Ruby to you is the thing by which you judge all languages. So I'm not sure how Matt feels about that. We'll ask him, of course, but... You know, just that Ruby, you know, I'm not sure how you got to Ruby, but maybe that's mm -hmm. an interesting story as a side note. But, you know, I can imagine it's probably similar. You came for the rails, but you got the Ruby and you loved it. Um, yeah. And then now it's, it's you know, it's your uh, it's a barometer. It's the thing you judge all things on to see if it's the language that fits for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely it is. And as I look around, you know, the field and, and all these interesting new languages are popping up. Maths as a language person, I'm sure you're, you're keen on many of these. Um, and so I look at each one and I say, Hmm, can I write three dot days dot ago in this? <laughs> um, and I use that as, as a test or can I extend it to even get that kind of a feature right? or that kind of a, a statement. Um, but Matt, how does it feel? Because you, you were influenced by so many, Different languages, we mentioned a handful of them, Perl, Python, Smalltalk, Lisp. Yeah. Now you're being an influence. Your language that you designed has influenced Clojure. It's influenced Crystal very, very much. Uh, Elixir, Groovy, um, Rust, Swift. What does that feel like to have you know, created this language that you pulled in ideas from all these other places and now your language is being used as a barometer for quality or as an influence for new languages to be created? Yeah. So I have considered myself as a some kind of a language geek or like a wannabe in a, the programming language. You know, as time goes by, surprisingly, my masterpiece, Ruby, becomes so popular, mostly thanks to the, the Rails. And it, it started influence other programming languages or other programming language designers so that is so honor for me, you know. I feel like a like I now become a member of the broader community of language designer. You're so, now elite. 
Yeah. Part of the elite. Yeah, we are not, not really elite, but, uh, you know, <laughs> the, me, a member of the programming language designer community. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty happy about that. Maybe this is an extension to that. Uh, so not so much just your happiness with uh, your influence, but uh, while we're here on this topic, maybe a bit of advice. Let's say there's a, a language designer or a budding language designer or a future language designer listening to the show right now, you know, or years from now. And they've got you, someone who's been down a, a long road, 23 years with Ruby so far. Uh, studied many languages, now part of the elite club, what advice would you give back and could you give back to influence future language designers in a positive way? What, what advice, you may have said some of the things so far, like positivity, happiness, and things like that, but what's one core thing you think you could share with a language designer out there? Uh, a few years ago, the Dave Thomas, and our Dave Thomas, <laughs> We have a lot of Dave Thomases out there. So, <laughs> so our Dave Thomas, uh, one of the programmers, programmer, uh, told in the conference keynote that is the, the programming is a process of designing a domain-specific language for the application. So in that sense, every programming is a design of the DSL or API for that particular application. So every programmer is or should be language designers. So take my advice as a old language designer, mind design and mind psychology. We programmers often focus on technologies. We are human, <laughs> we are people. So we have minds and feelings. Those feelings influence uh, our productivity or effectiveness. So when you design anything like an API or language or anything, think about how you or how users feel about those design. That kind of things is the key of good design of API and the language and the, the programming in general. So that is the reason I said mind design and mind psychology. I was going to say, uh, we're kind of curious, maybe your thoughts on a few uh, particular languages. You mentioned, uh, I think it was before we started the show, that you had listened to our show on Elixir. And you also mentioned that you're interested in listening to our show on Haskell. Um, some, some of our listeners are interested in your thoughts on Elixir uh, as a language and on Go as a language. Um, and any other languages that you find interesting um, that are up and coming. Could you share your thoughts on, on those with us? So when I designed Ruby in early 90s, the computers had only one CPU. So we didn't have to care about the parallelism. We, we did have concurrency, but we didn't care about uh, the parallelisms. So we didn't have multi-core so, but uh, these days, everything is multi-core, everything in parallel. So we have tons of computers in cloud. So we have many cores in a laptop. So we, now we have to care about the concurrency and the parallelism. 
if I knew about this future, I care more about the concurrency in the design of my language. So in that sense, I'm very interested in the design of Elixir. The Elixir is based on Erlang, which is the very concurrent programming language. The care of the, you know, the multi-core multi and a better concurrent model. So we are trying to address that kind of concurrency in Ruby 3, but uh, Erlang has long history of concurrency and uh, they have done very good things in providing parallel programming. We look up that kind of history and uh, we have to learn a lot from, you know, design of Erlang and the design of Elixir. For the future of Ruby, I guess, when you, when you look at, uh, you know, what you like about Elixir, what you like about Erlang and what you like about Go and their focus, now that there is a future, obviously, and there is this now an awareness of, you know, 128 cores and concurrency and things like that, you know, back in 90s when you were designing Ruby, you didn't have that concern, and now there is. What can you say about the path to give Ruby concurrency? Um, what can you say about the, the future that Ruby has when it comes to concurrency? Mm -hmm. So, so we have several ideas for future Ruby concurrency. So the first one is the, some kind of the, you know, the streaming process, like uh, adding some kind of the pipelines to, to the language. And then those pipelines, uh, process that data parallelly, those pipelines process data in parallel. And then the other, the other idea is providing some kind of the, you know, the more isolated things than threads. The most bad things about threads is the, the data sharing. So the thread can look into the, 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 the other thread access, like a, those kind of the shared state is the source of all evil. So we could provide that some kind of the isolated capsule of the parallel execution. So those, those capsules can be communicated via like a, some kind of a channel, like a, the routing has. In that way, so we can avoid the data sharing. So we can provide the share nothing model, like a language like Elixir provides. We are experimenting on those ideas right now. So maybe a year or two, so we, we will decide which idea to take, pick and uh, that will, the idea will gradually come into the Ruby 3. So Ruby 3, what's, uh, I guess anybody listening to that has got to be excited who is a huge fan of Ruby, you know, having a, a path of concurrency and having, in quotes, what we've had talked about on the show before that you mentioned, Jose Valim, uh, having proper support for concurrency was something he had actually had said about his departure from Ruby and his, uh, his desire to create Elixir. Um, there is a path. Uh, how how far out? I know that it's difficult to project things like that, but is this a year or two? Is it half a year? What's what's roughly the time frame people people can uh, get excited about for for the future <laughs> Ruby? So we are open source, so we don't provide any specific roadmap. But uh, in my mind, I hope it will be released before twenty twenty. 
Okay. Well, let's, uh, we're getting near the end. We've got uh, roughly uh, 15 minutes left in our scheduled show timing. So let's, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, uh, we have a, a Slack room for those who support the show. Uh, changelog members or changeloggers, we call them. Uh, if you're a fan of the show and you want to support us as well, you can go to changelog.com slash membership to learn more about that. But you get access to this private Slack channel. And in there, we drop the message that, hey, we're having Matt's on the show today. This is really awesome. Anybody have any questions? And a lot of questions came up around MRuby. So we'll go into this break. When we come back, we'll talk a bit about MRuby and what we can expect from it and kind of some things you can see for the for the future of it and maybe even how you get the, the government of Japan to sponsor it. So that's kind of interesting. So we'll take this break. We'll talk about that on the other side and, and also close. We'll be right back. Every Saturday morning, we ship an email called Changelog Weekly. It's our editorialized take on what happened this week in open source and software development. It's not generated by a machine. There's no algorithms involved. It's me, it's Jared, and the rest of the Changelog team hand curating this email, keeping up to date with the latest headlines, links, videos, projects, and repos. And to get this awesome email in your inbox every single week, head to changelog.com weekly and subscribe. All right, we're back from our break with Mats. The uh, this is the this is the tail end of the show, Mats. But we've got so much more to cover. So much rich history of this awesome language called Ruby that you created 23 years ago. And uh, you know, Jared and I, we've been you know hosting this show, the Changelog, for a while. And we've had the likes of go on here. We've had the likes of Jose Valim come on here and talk about Elixir. And a lot of interesting things happening in other languages. And during the break, as listeners know, we, we, we talk to our guests and sometimes we share things in those breaks that really need to be on air. And something I asked Matt's off air, but now will be on air, is, is maybe any envy that he might have or those who are involved in you know steering Ruby in the right way, any envy they might have around concurrency and dealing with, you know, you know, just uh, compatibility and things like that. And so Matt's take it away. I mean, that was a good answer you said in the off air, but uh, say as much as you like here on air about that. You know, I am pretty happy about working with Ruby. You know, it is good language. <laughs> sure, I, I say that, <laughs> you know, it's quite challenging. You know, we have to solve many technical challenges and uh, that is quite amusing for us as a pro as programmers. So we are pretty happy uh, about working with Ruby, but uh, sometimes we feel frustrated to keep compatibility. So we have millions of Ruby programs out there. So if we make any incompatible change, so that would br break so many uh, Ruby programs. So due to, I don't like that word though, so social responsibility. So we are very conserv conservative to make incompatible change. For recent years, the keeping compatibility is our primary goal of the design, design and the, uh, enhancement of the Ruby programs. So that compatibility things sometimes uh, hinder us 
to make progress. So in that way, I sometimes envy so the other programming language, uh, namely minor programming language, so that they can make uh, big change very easier. You have a lot of uh, you have a lot of as you said millions of Ruby applications out there, and so you as you said you have the social responsibility, and so the that's holding you back from progress. Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Which is expected, right? I mean, it's a, it's known fact, right? Once you have baggage, so to speak, and not in a negative way, mm. once you have baggage, you must carry that baggage. Yeah. And uh, that can sometimes stop you from chasing those new shiny objects. But you'd mentioned also that, that MRuby is one way you get to, to sort of tease that, uh, that part of you that gets to chase mm-hmm. the shiny objects, gets to do something interesting. So uh, I'd, I'd mentioned that uh, we have a Slack room with members in it that uh, chime in uh, when we ask them to about, you know, we have a guest coming on and they had some questions around the future of MRuby uh, and things like that. What, what's interesting and, and I guess with MRuby as it relates back to this tickling of the, of the envy thing for you with other languages. So yeah, working on the other things than Ruby, like MRuby is a the subset of the Ruby language that targeted to some kind of embedding system, like embedding in applications or embedding in systems and devices. Like that, working on that kind of things is quite refreshing. Uh, in addition, I have been working on the, the other toy programming language named Stream, which is, you know, uh, the Stream language is very early stage, so no one uses. So it's quite easy to the drastic change. So these kinds of exper- experiences uh, are very refreshing for me. Let's focus on MRuby first, and we do want to uh, have a few questions on Stream. But on MRuby specifically, Looks like you you started it in 2012, as you said. It's for embedding, uh, whether inside other programs or on devices. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the status of it? Is it is it production ready? Are people putting it on devices? And then, like, does it have a future roadmap, or does it just kind of follow Ruby's advancements and keep par- parity? The the state status of the MRuby is quite close to production ready. So some companies already use uh, MRuby in their products. For example, uh, a, a company in Brazil created some kind of the payment devices embedded uh, MRuby. So it that devices understand the credit card, debit card, and the Bitcoin. Then those kind of the systems can be configured using Ruby. So with embedded MRuby. The other companies in Japan, uh, SIPS, uh, Internet Router, embedded to MRuby, they, they use MRuby to uh, provide the routing configuration in Ruby or maybe, uh, or in the, the character user interface using MRuby. Some other companies are experimenting uh, MRuby to, to embed, to be embedded in their systems. The examples are, for example, the microsatellites, like uh, satellites with five inches squared, piggyback with the, the rockets, then go around on, uh, over the, the, the earth for a year or two. Then the, those systems is configured by MRuby. So when you say rockets, you mean like a rocket ship? 
Yeah, real good. Nice. Okay. We I have now have Adam's attention. Yeah, we you say rocket ship, my ears go up. One thing about this on the in your readme for MRuby, it says this is sponsored by the regional innovation creation R and D programs mm-hmm. of the Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry of Japan. Yeah. Anything to share with us on that? Uh, how that got set up and and uh, just I don't know the details of that relationship and why they're mm-hmm. they're supporting it so much. Yeah. I have been working on the, the local government of the prefectures in Japan. So Fukuoka prefecture is one of them. So during the work with the, the Fukuoka government, they applied the government funded project. So they got granted. The grant was originally designed for some kind of the hardware stuff. So it was quite difficult to explain them. So they asked us this. Uh, where did you install those facilities or something like that? Yeah, it, 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 it is software. No, no facility. There's <laughs> no real thing here, okay? <laughs> no, no, no physical things <laughs> or that kind of things. But uh, somehow we got granted. So with that granted, we organized some kind of the, the joint venture. So the, in those processes, so we implemented MRB. You know, the most important things is a deadline. <laughs> you know, we open source, we we usually have no deadline. We do when we do. We when when we do when we can or something like that. So it's my took years to implement. So right. I had the vague idea of implementing the smaller implementation of Ruby language. But uh, you know in implementing a language uh, language processor from scratch is kind of a huge task. So it is quite difficult to start. You know, the, the, the first step is the most biggest step. So that grant forced me to make a big uh, first step. They helped us to uh, make, made me, uh, they forced us and helped us to make a first step. Then after two years, in 2012, so we finally yeah, made it open source. So I guess going back to maybe something Jared asked, I'm not sure if we got full clarity, at least it's a little unclear to me, but his question was around the advancement of MRuby and if it's closely tied to, to because it's Ruby 1.9 compatible. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is MRuby your outlet for progress as we talked about when it came to the envy or is it something different is it uh, is it tied to ruby's um ruby's progress yeah yeah and held in, back by maybe even it does it have that same that same handicap so mruby itself is the base um you know the iso ruby standard so that we cannot make you know arbitrary change to the language that in that sense, I sometimes feel similar uh, frustration. But uh, you know, the MRB implementation is subset, so we can drop mm-hmm. off. So, so uh, it is held back now. But if you wanted to, you could break away. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. The implementation is a subset of Ruby, so you can avoid a lot of the traps or the things that you don't necessarily think are required yeah. to support. Right. Um. But in terms of the language uh, semantics, 
it conforms to the ISO standard. And so in that way, it is tied to the language. Correct. Which makes Correct. sense because it, it is Ruby for, you know, embedded. So you want it to be the same languages as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, we're running out of time. Let's talk about Stream a little bit. You mentioned yep. <laughs> influences from Ruby, which makes sense. Erlang, <laughs> other functional programming languages. Um, it looks like very much the Unix philosophy. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us, you gave us a brief overview, but give us a little bit more. When you started it, you say it's still just a toy or something that you're playing with. Do you see this becoming your next big thing or is it just that outlet to, to play around? Yeah, just outlet to play along. <laughs> so I, I, you know, as a side job, as I write articles for the Japanese programming magazines, mag magazine, so the, about the programming and the programming language. So as a, as an example of that article, so I designed the small toy programming languages based on the idea of the streaming programming. So I named it stream, double E, S-T-R-E-E-M. So then I put it as a, you know, as a backup, I put it my repository into GitHub. So last year, and then, uh, no, no, the, the end of the December 2014, so, so almost a year ago. So then someone found my repository, <laughs> you know, <laughs> back Things then. And I bet with you. Yeah, yeah. So someone put that things into the, you know, the hacker news and it, it was buzzed so much. You know, it was amazing. <laughs> back then, we, I had only 200 lines of the, you know, the, the syntax description. So virtually nothing. So, <laughs> but uh, it was buzzed, you know, I, we had a lot of the, the issues in, in the GitHub. It, it was not supposed to be open, <laughs> supposed to be public, but it was my, just a backup. But uh, then, you know, someone found my repository. You're, you're and a it, victim of your own success in that way. <laughs> yeah. You know, funnily, so we got, I got the pull request from the other programmer. So that, it, okay, you described your language in the article. So I implemented your language. <laughs> wow. I only described my language in the article and I only put the, the 200 lines of the syntax description and the other one implemented my, my programming language. <laughs> Yeah, since then I modified a lot, but uh, but it it is still based on the 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 you know the interp interpreter the ASD interpreter in the, which is written by the other one <laughs> the other guy. Right. I guess as Jared had said, we are kind of run out of time. As much as we would love to keep you here, Matt, and keep talking to you about this rich history because it's fun for us. Hopefully, it's fun for you as well. To, to yeah, just... it was fun you know, take the time to, to go back and think about, man, where did I, where did this come from? How did I get here? Why am I here? And it's, it's interesting to, to take that same thing and share that with the, the listening audience. Um, and as a listener of the show, Matt's, which I'm still blown away by Jared, I can't believe that Matt's listens to the show, which is just <laughs> cool. I just, I love that. But 
uh, Matt's, we often ask those who come on the show who their heroes are. And there's, you know, several, several times that, uh, that you're somebody else's hero. And so generally the question is, who's your programming hero? But in this case, who's somebody who's influenced you to be the Matt's you are today to be the, you know, the, the Matt's that, uh, that has led mini Swana through the Ruby <laughs> and has this, you know, has this Matt's is nice. And so we are nice kind of community that's come and followed him. Who has influenced you? Who's your hero that made you, made you who you are today? Uh, my primary framing hero is Larry Wall, who is designed Pearl. Not really as a language designer, but as a, the, as a leader of, a commu- of the community. So mm-hmm. he, he has sense of humor in his keynotes, and then he, he has sense of, he has sense in the design of uh, program software. His works like a patch, RN, and then Pearl, all of them are very helpful to programmers. So that kind of attitude and that kind of sense of humor is my role model. So the, my primary programming hero is Larry Wall, definitely. You have any the, secondaries? Uh, the Alan Kay, who designed the future of programming by providing the, the object-oriented programming. And then mm-hmm. John McCarthy, who provides the, the idea of Lisp and the, the idea of, of the very nifty programming language. Very good heroes there. Well, um, Matt, this is a chance for you to share whatever you think you might want to share. Is there anything else that uh, Jared and I may have left out, any important detail in this uh, this 23-year history of Ruby that uh, we might have missed? Anything you want to share that uh, that you've got on your mind at all before we close out? Yeah, we are still working on Ruby 3. We have tons of ideas, but... Uh, we are still open to new ideas. Like, uh, you know, the, we worked on Ruby for last 23 years. So we, uh, we sometimes become uh, narrow-minded. So the, we need fresh ideas uh, out of the community. So the, submit any ideas to the, our issue tracker, bugs.rubylang.org. We may not be able to uh, accept all of them, but uh, at least uh, the reading new ideas are very refreshing for us. We'll link uh, your Ruby issue tracking system up in our show notes. And that's, that's, a, that's an interesting thing you said there too, because one other question we tend to end with, which I'll just ask because uh, why not? It's something you kind of teed up in a way, but feel free to extend it if you like. Uh, we ask, how can the community support you support Ruby, uh, so I guess one way to be to share ideas through your bug tracker. What mm-hmm. other ways? What other things out there are in Ruby that uh, you can point people to? What? How can people step in and help Ruby see progress? So people considers Ruby as my programming language. So it's designed by me. So it's designed by a person, but uh, in reality. The Ruby has long been uh, a language designed by the community. Of course, I lead them and I make final decisions. But still, 
so many ideas and so many implementations are from community. So the Ruby is our programming language. The idea and the use case in, and then the, the pull request from the community to, to form the language. So if I haven't had a community, I couldn't make up Ruby. So Ruby wouldn't be Ruby without community. Well, there you hear it. Uh, so if you're out there and, and you're, you're writing Ruby code and, and you have some influence or you would like to share some influence back to Ruby, there's Matt's invitation to say that uh, Ruby wouldn't be Ruby without you. So if you're listening to this and you're excited about these 23 years of history of, of this language and the future of this language, then you can, you can be a future Matt. Either step in and help MRuby, step in and help Ruby, or however, step in and, uh, and share what you have back uh, back to Ruby and back to the community. Uh, Matt, I want to thank you so much for, you know, I know English isn't your first language, and I know that uh, that it, it's tiring to speak English as not your primary language, but I really appreciate uh, you stepping out like this and sharing your story in your non-native language because there's so many people out there who really care about you and care about your language and care about uh, the future of programming and really appreciate the influence you've had on it. And so to come on this show today and sit here with Jared and I and, and share what you have, it's just an honor to, to talk to you like this and to get a chance to, to help you share the, this beautiful story of, of Ruby and this awesome uh, history you have yourself. Uh, with that, we're going to close out the show. So listeners, thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, sad face, go to changelaw.com slash podcast and subscribe in iTunes or your podcast app. We also have two emails we ship out. Uh, one's called changelaw weekly. So go to changelaw.com slash weekly. Uh, the other one is called changelaw nightly. And obviously that one's nightly. So go to changelaw.com slash nightly. Those are two awesome emails we ship out that uh, keep everyone uh, up to date on what's fresh, new, and open source. One's editorialized, one is nightly, and sort of the 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 catch-all of everything that's interesting that's happening on GitHub. So if you want to catch up and stay up, then, then uh, go ahead and subscribe to those. But that is it for this show today. So, fellas, let's, uh, let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for having me.